the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Uh, We do this show every weekend uh, here on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. And once again, Alan Dempsey does a marvelous job of uh, engineering this whole operation. Uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And uh, Larry Wilson joins us in the first half hour from uh, his office in central Indiana. Former pastor, acquisitions editor, currently consulting for Rose Publishing. And we're going to talk about uh, the latest that Rose has produced in their Bible Basics series, Being a Jesus Disciple. Larry, great to talk to you, and thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Pat. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, tell me about Rose and, and this whole series that they do. Give me a little background on that. It's a terrific operation. Yeah, Rose Publishing is uh, located in Torrance, California, and their mission is to produce resources for local churches and ministries. So they specialize in simple, easy-to-use books, booklets, charts, and maps that help local churches in making disciples. And this Bible Basics series is just a a really helpful series of books that... uh, focus on just what it says, the basics of the Bible and the Christian life. And this book, Being Jesus' Disciple, is in that series. Well, let's plow into some of these interesting topics, uh, and you uh, you take us through them, Larry. Uh, number one, who I am in Christ. Uh, what are we saying here? What's being written here? Well, the the opening chapter of this book, which is is just a such a marvelously helpful book, simple writing, uh, full color, lots of charts and illustrations to help the reader along. The opening chapter, "Who Am I in Christ?" is about understanding the change in identity that takes place when we come to Christ. Now, you've heard, Pat. I think everybody's heard that uh, over the last few months there have been some surveys and and uh, information come out that the number of people claiming to be Christians in the United States has dropped dramatically in the last 10 years. Well, what we see is that this is really a drop in the number of what we would call nominal Christians, or those who who may be associated or were associated with the Church, but never really fully owned that identity of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So this chapter talks about the changes that take place, from brokenness to wholeness, from being a sinner to being redeemed, from living for myself to living for others. It's a lot of Scripture and a lot of the identity of a believer. I am forgiven. I am reconciled with God. I'm rescued. I'm redeemed. I'm chosen. I'm accepted. I'm saved. I'm free. I'm secure. I'm sealed. Boy, what a, what a great deal that is, Larry. It is, and I think when people have a sense of this, that, uh, you know, this isn't about uh, being being in Christ, being a believer, it's not about taking on a lot of rules for your life and things like that, it's about having a wonderful relationship and a, a new identity for yourself, being free and secure and knowing that you're accepted by God. It's very powerful. So it, it helps us start out in the Christian life on the theme of being rather than doing. And that's Mm. so important, and it helps us avoid legalism, all kinds of other traps when we have that sense of who we are in Christ. The second topic I want you to talk about, knowing God's will. 
Well, that's <laughs> that's one that I think we would all uh, like to have a handle on, isn't it? Navigating life's tough decisions, walking through painful circumstances, dealing with failure, and knowing where to go next. Well, this chapter is a, a simple, basic instruction on knowing God's will. Uh, we pray to know God's will. That's one way we understand God's will. We read Scripture to know God's will. That's another way we understand God's will. We imitate Christ because he came to reveal the Father to us. And uh, we, we are connected with a body because through the counsel and fellowship of other Christians, uh, that's another way that God speaks into our lives. Now, there's not a, just a simple formula like the uh, magic eight ball that you can shake up and look at and uh, to have a yes or no answer to God's will, but we learn in our Christian walk, to use these variety of means to listen to what God is saying to us. And prayer and Scripture, of course, are on the top of that list. I love this one uh, about this topic, Larry. Uh, God knows the future, so we don't have to. We only need to know the next thing to do. Boy, that's good counsel. Well, it takes a lot of the the overwhelming pressure on us to figure out the entire rest of our lives, Uh, and that can be daunting. Uh, But really, we're just looking for the next right step in God's will. One way to put it is this. If you stay close to God, you're going to know His will. Jesus said, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. And just as I'm in the Father, you'll be in me, and we'll be in the Father. So we stay connected to Christ prayer, scripture, the counsel of the church, and these are the ways that we come to know just what's the next thing God would have us to do. God is always at work behind the scenes, and he has your best interests at heart. God's timing is always perfect, not one minute early, not one day late. Give God time to work. Boy, what wonderful advice. Yeah, and you know, there are some things, Pat, that we can always know are God's will for us. Uh, you know, we, you may have a question about how your education or a financial decision or, or a relationship that you're in, and we really need to seek and be discerning about those, but there's some things that we always know are God's will for us because the Scripture says it and Jesus revealed it. It's God's will that we should be sanctified, First Thessalonians 4, 3. So becoming like Jesus every day in our thoughts and actions, that's always God's will. It's God's will that we should be joyful always and pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, so that uh, how we respond to the world around us, we know with praise and thanksgiving and trust in God, that's always His will for us. So are there, there are some things that are sort of bedrocks. You, we don't have to search very hard for those, because we know those are always in God's plan for us. Larry Wilson is with us from <clears throat> Central Indiana. Uh, we're talking about the Rose Publishing Series, <clears throat> and uh, this latest is Being Jesus' Disciple. Larry, now I want you to talk about spiritual disciplines. That's the third topic in this book, spiritual disciplines. What are they? What's that mean? Well, spiritual disciplines, just very uh, very simply, are the daily practices that Christians have used for thousands of years in order to know God better and have Him speak into their lives. And so we're talking about things like prayer and Bible study. Uh, we're talking about fasting, worship, serving others, times of solitude, practicing discernment and evangelism or sharing the faith. And these are just the, the simple daily practices that we know put us in a position to hear from God and to have His Spirit speaking to our lives, reveal sin, and make changes in us. And that's really what the disciplines are. Why do you think it's so difficult for Christians to take time every day to read the Bible and to pray? Why does that become so, oh, I don't know, hit and miss? Is that a good word? I think it is a good a good word, because most people who are serious about their faith really have a desire to do these things, I believe. Uh, we'd all say that, well, I'd like to pray more than I do. I, w- I wish I spent a little more time in the Scripture than I do, or, or some of these other disciplines like fasting and solitude. You know, the pace of life is really what's 
what's getting to us. Uh, there's so much coming at us uh, all the time. From the minute we wake up uh, to the moment we go to sleep, there is input into our lives. And the disciplines, uh, well, one reason they're called a discipline, is something that you must purposefully do, is they're about shutting off some of that noise, shutting down some of those other inputs, and putting ourselves in a position where we can hear from God. So it's really about creating habits, new habits, and replacing some old habits with them. It takes intentionality and it takes effort. One of the things about this book that's, that's so helpful is that it gives some basic pointers and tips on what these disciplines are and how to go about practicing them. My guest is Larry Wilson. More with Larry talking about being Jesus' disciple right after this. It's the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour, AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94. 4.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Looking for more than just a job? Searching for a career path with a higher calling? With a company who wants you for your life skills as well as your job skills? Find a career you can believe in. Find your true calling at ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com is the largest Christian employment website with thousands of job listings in the Christian sector. Get connected with outstanding employers that share your values and understand there's more to you than what's in your resume. I've always wanted to focus my energies in the Christian community because, to me, having a career means more than just a paycheck. ChristianJobs.com allowed me to apply all my skills in a meaningful way. Find your true dream job today at ChristianJobs.com. I found not only my dream job, but my calling at ChristianJobs.com. Once you see the long list of quality job opportunities available, you'll never settle for just a job again. Visit ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com. Hi, this is Dr. Ahmad from the Soul Room Wellness Center at Millennium, inviting you to my brand new program, Healthy Positive Living, now Saturday afternoon at 4. Every week we discuss an important topic that will pertain to your health concerns from an integrative point of view. And this isn't another stale health show. It's informative, exciting, and we'll have some fun along the way. We'll see you here for your healthy, positive living. Saturday afternoon at 4 on the new 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. My guest is Larry Wilson. We're talking about the Rose Publishing series, Being Jesus' Disciple is the latest, and Larry Wilson is with us from uh, Indiana. Uh, we were talking about spiritual disciplines, Larry, before that break. Uh, what does worship mean? That's one of the spiritual disciplines. How do you do that? What is worship? Well, worship is quite simply offering ourselves to God, and uh, the Bible gives us the basis for that and some examples. Uh, it's to God and God alone, offering ourselves to Him. We worship in spirit and in truth, so worship is more about an attitude of the heart than it is about our actions, uh, though those are important. Uh, worship can be public, and it can also be private. So this is a discipline with two aspects. We gather with the body to worship. We offer ourselves to God. We hear from His Word, and we worship privately as we spend time focusing our mind, our heart, our attention on Him, and saying, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. That's really what worship is. Why is solitude so important? Well, Pat, this gets back again to the pace of life that we live, 
And if you think about the inputs in our lives, not just the, the day-to-day when you're at work or you have a busy family, you're, you got children or, or uh, others around you constantly, and then add electronic input to that, the television, the radio, social media, and our ever-present phones. Well, solitude is so vital to shut off those inputs and have uh, even 10 minutes, 15 minutes, when we are alone so that God can speak to us. Uh, now, people resist that because I think we instinctively know that when we get alone, that when that noise is shut down, well, we're going to have to look inside of us, and God is going to speak into our lives, and that could be intimidating. But it's really a delightful experience where God affirms our identity in Him, and He convicts us of sin, and we just have to have some time and some silence in order to do that. I've often wondered, Larry, how God can do that when maybe a hundred million people are having solitude at the same time, and and, and he can uh, speak to each one of us. You know, amazing, I, I amazing. <laughs> well, you, you know, you think about that, and I think about the the internet and uh, some of these uh, big big uh, sites like Facebook and Google and others, and you know, they track the moves of millions of people all at the same time, and all that data they tell us is out there, where you went online, what you looked at for how long, the the emails you sent. Mm -hmm. Well, if we can do that with a machine, imagine what the mind of God must be like to be able to hear the thoughts and hearts of millions or billions of people all at once. It really is an amazing thing. Larry, before we move on to the fourth topic, uh, uh, one of the spiritual disciplines I want you to talk about is evangelism why it's important, why it's so hard for us, why it seems to be so intimidating. Uh, What are your thoughts? Well, evangelism is intimidating. I think this is one of the things that we resist doing because we don't feel adequate to do it. But evangelism is really a natural overflow of what Christ has done in our lives. Some people would say it this way, it is giving a witness or a testimony to the power of God that you've seen at work in yourself and in the world. And when you think of it that way, it's, it's a lot less intimidating. We're simply telling what we know that God has done for us. So it's helpful to have uh, scriptures memorized and to have some helpful paradigms for sharing the faith. We have some of those in the book. But the main thing about evangelism is simply saying, this is what I know about God and what he's done with me. It's telling your story. And on that level, that's a lot easier to do. The fourth area in this book, being Jesus' disciple, Larry, why truth matters. Uh, What is truth? We've heard that question before, haven't we? And, And why does it matter? What are you teaching here? What's going on? Well, truth, we know from Scripture, is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, Mm. and the life. So when we talk about truth, we're talking primarily about knowing Christ and remaining in Him and close to Him. Now, within that concept, there are are ways that we kind of get slightly misguided from being focused on Christ. And uh, we have some terms for those. There are 10 of them covered in the chapter, false gospels, false doctrines or ideas, false gods, false Christs, false spirits, false apostles, false prophets, false visions, false teachers, and false miracles. So this chapter is about helping us understand what truth looks like and what error looks like and how to discern between those two. Why do, get, why do people get so lured by that which is false? Pat, I think people have a kind of craving for something new and something different and also often something controversial. It doesn't take very much of a look at the uh, tabloid rack in the supermarket or to see the kinds of things that pop up in social media to see that people just love to go down these rabbit trails uh, that may or may not have any merit. Sadly, that happens with our faith as well. And some of these false 
doctrines or ideas or false gospels, they have an appeal to something of self within us. So they make us feel that, for example, we can be better on our own, or that we are better than other people. And those false ideas, they just seem to have an, an ongoing appeal. That's why it's so important that we learn to identify them and to remain grounded in the truth. Larry, let's move to topic number five, what the Bible says about money, how to honor God with your finances, and Bible promises about money, reasons to give generously. Important topic. I want your thoughts, please. Well, this is a topic that that really makes people uncomfortable in church, and I'm sure that you've heard or maybe even thought, well, all that church wants is my money. And, uh, you know, that's really not the Bible's teaching about money. The Bible's teaching about money is liberating and freeing. You know, money makes some false promises to us. It promises security, uh, that if we have a lot of it, then we won't have any worries, and power that if we have uh, adequate money, we can get other people to do what we want them to do. There's success. If I have money, therefore I'm a good person. I've succeeded in some way. But all of these false promises, money just doesn't deliver on. But guess what? God does. We find our security in Him. We find our, our adequacy in Him, our acceptance. So what the Bible's doing and teaching about money is getting us to stop looking at money as a source and begin to trust God more. That's the bottom line with money. It's about trusting God. Talk to us about tithing. Well, that's a great question, and the tithe is uh, is the standard that is used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as uh, the 10%, that's what a tithe is, a 10% of, of our income or of our wealth, that we offer to God as a gift or an offering. And in the uh, origins of the tithe, when Abraham actually was the first one to offer a tithe, it was a voluntary gift that he gave to a prophet king named Melchizedek. So the tithe is our gift or our offering to God, uh, because we return to Him what He's given to us. And the Bible sets that 10% as a standard. You know, personally, I know a lot of people who give quite a bit more than that as their offering to God, and there's a little debate among Christians of whether that's a duty, whether you have to give 10%, but I like to think of it as something that we do to honor God with our money and show Him, I'm putting you first with the most valuable thing that I own. Larry Wilson is our guest. We're talking about uh, the book with Rose Publishing called Being Jesus' Disciple. Chapter 6 is called 24 Ways to Explain the Gospel. Uh, Who are we explaining it to? What, What does that mean, Larry? What's happening here? Well, this goes back to the concept of evangelism and uh, and sharing our faith with others. And many people feel so inadequate to say what God has done in their life, maybe inadequate to understand it themselves. So the first thing we're doing here is understanding in our own minds and hearts what has happened when we came to Christ. But beyond that, these are simple tools that we can use to share the good news about Jesus with uh, friends, neighbors, unchurched or dechurched people who just, they simply don't know who Jesus is and what he can do for us. So there are 24 uh, paradigms or, or little uh, simple models for explaining what the gospel is. For example, the bridge illustration. And there's also the Steps to Peace with God model, the Romans Road model. Now, these use scriptures and simple principles as a way of telling someone who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It's really a marvelous help for somebody who wants to explain the truth but doesn't know how. And I was very pleased to see at the end of that chapter, we've got the four spiritual laws from Campus Crusade for Christ. And Many years ago, Larry, a little young lady in a singing group handed me that booklet, and that was a huge, huge turning point in my coming to Christ. So uh, you never know the value of a little handout, a tract, or a booklet. Never know uh, the impact it can have. 
you really don't. These these are tried and true uh, ways to explain the gospel. So you're getting some, as you put it, some really historically valuable tried and true ways to, to present the gospel to others. You plant the seed, you never know what God will do with it. Let's move to the seventh uh, area of this book, uh, Larry. It's called Strong in the Storm, Lessons from Persecuted Christians and how to deal with persecution and how you can help persecuted Christians. Uh, I'm eager to hear about this. Well, we're seeing persecution in the church uh, on, a, on a global scale, like certainly have not seen in my lifetime before, with Christians being arrested, uh, forced from their homes and villages, and some, some even put to death for their faith in Christ. And it's a very scary time. Uh, this chapter is about understanding uh, where persecution comes from and how it develops. So it talks about the four stages of persecution, so we can see uh, how that um, how we move from opposition to uh, injustice or discrimination, and finally to mistreatment. Uh, but more than that, it's about inspiring people to see that when we are faced opposition for the gospel. And even when is this happening now, some are persecuted for the gospel that can really strengthen and refine our faith, just as the Bible says. And there's some marvelous stories in this chapter from Christians who have faced persecution and come through it much stronger. Actually, persecution or setbacks or disappointments can be valuable, can't they, in the Christian walk? Well, this is exactly what uh, the Apostle Paul told us, that when you face trials, tribulations, you should actually give thanks for that, because you need that in order to refine your faith. Now, even at a smaller level, say something less than being imprisoned for your faith, when you face opposition for the gospel, it forces you uh, to have that moment where you say, am I really committed to this? Does Jesus really mean that much to me? Am I really serious about my faith? And when you face those hurdles and when you cross them, it really does develop and refine your faith. So there is a sense, painful though it is, in which opposition or even injustice or persecution refines faith in the Christian and really strengthens the Church. Well, it's been wonderful to visit with you, Larry. In 25 seconds, what do you want us to take from the book? I would love for people to realize that this is a tool that they can use for their own growth or for teaching and helping equip others. If you are a Bible study leader or a pastor, or you simply say, I really need to know more about my own faith, what a helpful tool this is. And I hope you'll get a copy at rosepublishing.com or wherever Christian books are sold. Million thanks, Larry. Great to talk to you. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pat. Larry Wilson, our guest, being Jesus' disciple. That's our discussion here in this first segment. Uh, we're back for more on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Just make it all stop for a few minutes. Help me, God. Three deadlines, four meetings. Uh, Looks like another late night at the office. Help me, God. I keep coming to these to forget my loneliness. So why do I still feel so alone? Help me, God. Help me, God. We all have moments where we feel we've reached the end of our rope. Discover freedom from anxiety, stress, and fear when you spend time in God's Word. Crosswalk.com is here to help you start living a life filled with joy and peace. Choose to read the Bible and talk to God each day. Receive free daily devotionals from well-known pastors and authors, including Max Lucado, John Piper, Charles Stanley, James McDonald, and more. Find the inspiration and encouragement you need for each day sent right to your inbox. Sign up at Crosswalk.com. That's Crosswalk.com. 
Are you providing care for a senior whose needs are becoming more time-consuming and challenging? Are you concerned about your loved one's safety when they're alone? This is Janet Mefford for Senior Helpers. Do you sometimes feel you need a helper to get you through the day? Where do you turn? The answer is Senior Helpers, right here in Orlando. Maybe it's normal aging and the challenges of shopping, preparing meals, and keeping things tidy. Or maybe the issue is Alzheimer's. Well, Senior Helpers can develop a plan for improving your loved one's quality of life, getting just the right amount of help they need to remain independent at home. It's like having the services of an assisted living facility at home only better. Plus, Senior Helpers has a unique and exceptional approach to working with those experiencing Alzheimer's or another form of memory loss. Care is customized to include activities appropriate for each individual, all under the supervision of a Senior Helpers specialized nurse. To learn more, call 407-628-4357 or go to SeniorHelpers.com slash Orlando. 407-628-4357. Call Senior Helpers today. License Number two nine 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 three six eight one. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new nine fifty WTLN. And now here's Pat. Larry Wilson, our guest in that first half hour, uh, talking about being Jesus' disciple. That's the Rose Publishing series. Rifka Berry is with us. Uh, you've heard of Rifka, and her new book is out, Why I Risked Everything to Leave Islam and Follow Jesus. The book is called Hiding in the Light. Waterbrook is the publisher. Uh, Rifka is with us, and I'm so glad. Nice to talk to you, Rifka, and thanks for Thank joining you, me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Tell me how hard it was, or interesting it was, or intriguing it was to write this book. <laughs> you know, I am 22 years old, and I never really thought I would write because of such a drastic and hard story to write and share with the world. Mm-hmm. But um, I mainly started for my own sake to heal from what had happened. And, I mean, it had its joyous moments, like, you know, writing about when Angela first approached me to the really, really, really gruesome parts of my story, which were difficult and hard to write about. Um, but I am glad because I think it's it's played a major role in my healing from everything that happened. Rifka, let's start with your childhood in Sri Lanka. Uh, What were those years like? Hmm. You know, I grew up in a tiny island in Sri Lanka, like you had mentioned. Um, And as a child, I really was actually adored by my family. I was seen as the, you know, little doll of the family uh, before two major events happened. And the first one is that I was blinded in my right eye by my brother accidentally when I was about six years old. And the other was I was sexually uh, molested by an extended family member. And that changed everything for me as a child. Um, And one of the reasons is that my family ran on a shame-based culture. So Mm. I am you know, in, in America, there would be pity and compassion on a child and the, the abuser would be would be punished. But I am the one that is to be blamed. And my family, in order to retain the honor that we so dearly clung to as a Muslim family, we left our little tiny island and moved to the United States of America, all because of these two events. Mm. And um, so what was what was life, what was that like, Rifka? Yeah, I was confused. I didn't understand. You know, here I am. I'm becoming uh, functional, like even with a blind eye, I can do the things I used to, and I'm desperately wanting their attention and love like I used to. And I just don't understand why everyone is so harsh, why everyone is so cold, why I'm starting to get beaten by them. Um, I even had a cat that I took in, and in the story, I really talk about how that that little kitty was me a representation of me because it was abandoned and abused and i took it in and my parents um you know again it was another example of their harshness i mean they uh refused for it to be in the house and chased it away saying that it was unclean and um so it was really uh difficult and i was confused i didn't know what to think of it where did you move to in america And, and how did your family adjust my family saw America as a place to really run away from everything that had happened, so we were hopeful that we could start over and forget, you know, put everything under the rug and forget what had happened with me. Um, it was, I, I remember my mom having a really hard time culturally adjusting. I mean, 
um, our little town was all she had ever known her entire life. So that was difficult. And then my brother and I adjusting to the language and the culture. And more so, my father was very much, if he, if we were strict in Sri Lanka to be devout Muslims, it was even more so in America, because here we are surrounded by um, compromised Islam. Or I mean, my parents were just very dedicated to retaining uh, our Islamic Islamic heritage. Tell me about your friend uh, who invites you to to a Christian church. Uh, that had to be quite an event. What happened, and, and uh, how did that come about, and what what happened really? in the church service? Yeah, it was a beautiful moment. So here I am as a child, confused by these events that have ha- that have happened, and the abuse physically is escalating in my home. I am wanting to commit suicide at age 12, mm. you know, thinking if this is what life has to offer, I don't want it. Uh, I'm hurting. I've given myself to my parents' faith, and it is not working. Mm. Uh, so ready to really end my life, um, something really beautiful happens. And God had, you know, slowly tugged on my heart with little things like I had heard from someone that I could pray in English. And and that was just fascinating to me. And I, I, I didn't let myself think on it much. But at 12, when I'm just ready to really end my life, I start thinking, what if there are other options? And so one night after another beating, I, I do the despicable in the eyes of my family, which is I pray to another God. I say, God, if you are Allah, if you're Buddha, if you're Jesus, whoever you are, I just want to know truth. And I cry out to God that day, and months later, my prayer is answered in the most really amazing way. It's through a friend from school. We're in seventh grade, and her name is Angela. I'd seen her everywhere, from the hallway to the locker room to the lunchroom. And this mysterious girl sits next to me and and, uh, decides to befriend me. And she asks questions, and she invites me to church with her. adamant about not going, of course. I mean, I, that's like unthinkable to me. But I remember that prayer I prayed, and I remember memories of, okay, wanting to end my life. And I think, what if this is an answer? What if there's more? What if there's hope? What if? What if? And that really left me um, curious to search out this girl's faith. So I went to church with her, and lying to my family, I uh, was I said it was like an after-school event or something for school, and um, still terrified that I'm doing this, I decided to go. And that was the moment where everything changed, and I had a life-changing experience with God that that in, in that church. Mm. What do you remember about was it was it the sermon? Was it the oh, music? No, it was it was everything. It was Everything. I walked in, and it was as if I was walking into this, this, this peaceful place that I'd never felt before. And it was through the people who just overwhelmingly loved me. Mm. And but the biggest thing was when I walked into the church, the music was so fascinating, and seeing the way that they worshipped. But then when the pastor started preaching, I didn't understand a word he was saying. But what struck me was when I uh, I went up I went forward when the pastor was asking people to come forward and I didn't even know what it meant I just knew I was hungry to taste what these people had experienced and I walked forward and in that moment I felt as if time stood still and I for the first time started weeping and weeping mm. and weeping and it was like there was this exchange it was my brokenness for his beauty it was my pain for his joy and. And it was as if I was breathing in Christ, and He was breathing in my my messy, abusive, and ugly past. And that was enough for me to really search out this man named Jesus. How old were you when that service took place? I was 13 years old. Mm. So the service is over. Uh, now what? You go home? I do. I go home, and I desperately try to hide this new scandal, really, in my life. And my parents slowly find things here and there throughout the years, but I am somewhat successful for four years in hiding my faith from my family. Mm. Um, but when they find certain things, I, I, I'm, I, even though I hate doing it, I, I lie to them and say that it's for school or say, oh, this is for a project. But uh, my, fa- my family really does notice that 
I'm changing. I'm not as devoted in my Islamic classes. I'm not as fervent in my prayers. Rifka is no longer the Rifka that we knew. Mm. And and how do they take it out on you? Are they mean meaner or are they? <clears throat> um, absolutely. Well, how do they take it out? I guess that was my norm then. Uh, so I didn't really see any difference. I mean, I would get beaten. I would. There was much more of a push for me to go to Islamic classes. Like I remember one summer spending my entire summer for six to seven hours a day in the mosque where I would be specially taught. Um, so my father really just pushed me more and more to spend more, more of my time in the mosque, and it was obviously mandatory, and I didn't have an option. Uh, the, the big story, as I remember this, Rifka, is uh, you uh, fear for your life, and and you leave. You, you, you flee to Florida, and it becomes a huge national story. You remember those days? <laughs> How can I forget? Absolutely, I do. I do. So my, you know, as I'm trying to hide my faith and living in both worlds, uh, eventually it doesn't work. My father finds out, and that is when he makes threats to kill me. And he says, Mm. it was one day where he um, just, I mean, uh, banged on my bedroom door. And he asked me question after question, which I refused to answer. And he would get angrier and angrier. And um, he had a lot, there was a laptop nearby that he was going to beat me with it. But um, he, right before then, he made these threats. He said, if you are a Christian, you are dead to me. Mm. Um, he said, if this is true, uh, like we, I will, we will have, to, I will kill you. And to me, I, I did believe that this would happen. I mean, think about my family moving all the way from Sri Lanka to America just for these things like me being a victim of being sexually violated in the blind eye, and now here I am willingly committing the worst crime possible as a Muslim, which is apostasy. For any Muslim, Rifka, to pull out of that and and become a Christian is uh, devastating to families, isn't it? I mean, it's a terrible, terrible step. It's unthinkable. Oh, absolutely. The same way I feared going to that church as a 13-year-old. I mean, this was something that... The, this was the worst thing that I could ever do to my family, and it's the whole shame aspect. And from my understanding and what I experienced, it's, it's, what, the, it's what the Quran teaches. And, I mean, I saw this through the reaction of the mosque members. It wasn't just my father, where that moment when he approached me, he gave me a few days to have mercy on me and let me come back to Islam. But then during that time period, the mosque found out, and he no longer had an option because my mom told me in another moment where she confronted me and tried to search through my stuff, she said, our phone is ringing off the hook. They have said that if your father does not deal with you, they will. And I knew exactly what that meant. So how does one run away from home, Rifka? How do you go about it? It really was the hand of God. I could not have done it on my own. I mean, there are situations that happened during that time period where clearly God was leading people. Uh, For instance, there was a lady in Florida named Beverly Lorenz, whom I had never met, never talked to, who Facebooked me, um, and she said she's praying for me that night before my dad came back home from a trip, and he was cutting his trip short because the mosque had called, and I was frantic and desperate to reach out to someone, so I called her, and she said she's praying for me, and she prayed for me, and she had um, invited for me to come to her home. And I just thought that was unthinkable as well. So what ended up happening is that uh, I reached out to another friend whose name is Brian Williams, and he had suggested, hey, there's a lady I know in Florida whose name is Beverly. Like, why don't we connect with her and try to make something happen? And he had no idea that I knew her. And so that morning, through the aid of Beverly and Brian, I was able to escape my home. And what did you do? Get on a plane? Get on a train? You, you... I I went on a a bus to um, Orlando. So it was a two day bus ride, and we figured out a way to uh, willingly for me to get for them to get a ticket, and that way we had to work out legally where no one would get in trouble since they're helping a minor. And I, I wanted to do this, so I um, they got me the ticket, and then I was able to hop on a bus for two days and get to Orlando. 
and and waiting at the bus station was Beverly. Uh, actually, Beverly had sent two other people so mm-hmm. that I would not be associated with them in the public. Mm-hmm. And so they had two other people pick me up and then take me to their house. What have your years been like in Florida? Wow, I so the I only stayed in Florida for a couple months after um, my I was discovered where I was, but it was really a it was a, a safe place of safety for me where I was able to hide and and feel safe and I'm comforted by these wonderful people. But it was also a time of fighting for my life and um, with the court system after the court got involved. There was a year-long battle with my parents of fighting for cust- of them fighting for my custody and um, me choose- me fighting to stay in the system. Rivka, Rivka Barry is our guest. Her book is out. It's called Hiding in the Light. Fascinating story. Waterbrook is the publisher. Uh, we've got one more segment with Rivka, so uh, stay with us. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Uh, it's AM 950. WTLN in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Half-priced homeschool tuition. Hi, this is Bill Files, GM here at Salem Media Group in Orlando. Over the past four years, we've helped more than 150 parents and their children get into a Christian education environment with half-price tuition. Well, now I've got some exciting news for parents who homeschool. We are now offering a whole new segment of half-price tuitions for campus-based homeschool curriculum. If you're a parent or grandparent of children who are homeschooled, this could be a terrific opportunity for you. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on half-price tuition and check out the new listing at the top of the page for half-priced homeschool. It's easy. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on half-priced tuition and check out the new listing at the top of the page for half-priced homeschool tuition. Half-priced homeschool tuitions. Another great idea for the new 950 WTLN. Who are some of the people who buy their cars from Jim Lash Blue Book Cars? The kind you listen to and respect. Hi, this is R.C. Sprawl, and I'd like to say to you that I never buy any automobiles anywhere except at Jim Lash's Blue Book Cars in Sanford. I get the best deals. They have the most fantastic service. These people are Christians. I trust them completely. If you're looking to buy a car the next time, do yourself a favor. Go to Jim Lash Blue Book Cars in Sanford, and while you're there, tell them that RC sent you. Buy a car. Tell them you heard it here. And Blue Book Cars will donate $100 to your church. Call 407-321-0741. Blue Book Cars. There is a difference. Blue Book Cars and BlueBookCars.com, the official sponsor of Central Florida's Daily Commute and a proud member of the Orlando Tide Network. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Rifka Berry. She has quite a story. Uh, Hiding in the Light is the name of her book. It's out. And if you've never heard Rifka or read this book, it's 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 a must-do. Uh, what's become of your family, Rifka? From what I know, I have no contact with them, and I haven't for the past five or six years. So I really don't know. I know that in, I am healing and trying to just recover from everything that's happened. And this book has aided in that a lot in writing about it being able to remember and move on, but I'm not sure as to their whereabouts. You're a young lady, what, 22, Rivka. Uh, What do you want to do with your life? Oh, I have dreams. Next 10 years, for example. I mean, what do you want to do? Totally. I have dreams of really um, fighting for justice and fighting for people who are in similar situations like mine, and I don't know what that's going to look like. But I know that uh, I I desire to work in possibly in in, the, in law, and I'm studying right now philosophy and political studies to finish up my degree, and then hopefully moving on to law school after that. But I I just I don't know I just have such a heart for people who are hurting and oppressed and who don't have a voice, 
And so I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I'm just opening my hand and just to the Lord and, and walking wherever I feel He's directing me. So we'll see. What part of the country do you want to live in? Do you have any sense of that, or is that I not important? I don't, and sadly, because of my sensitive situation with security, I can't really share that. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> How is your eye doing? My eye is, actually, I have some wonderful news. Um, <laughs> so after I spoke at, at a church in Orlando, there was someone, a man who walked forward and said, actually, I don't even know who it is, who offered to pay for my eye to um, get medically treated. And so I just did a procedure this week where an oculist, ocularist made a prosthetic eye for me, and I am wearing it. So actually, if you look at me, you won't be able to tell that I'm, I'm blind in one eye. Isn't that interesting? It's amazing. Yes. So I'm still getting accustomed to it, and it's a little bit painful right now, but it's amazing how God has is restoring my life in so many ways, and even in things like giving me this gift through a random stranger. It's amazing. In other words, Rivka, your right eye now looks the same as your left eye, it even though you does. can't see out of it. Yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> well, that's what. Well, you're you're gorgeous to begin with. I will Thank say. You. And, Thank you. And that left eye, it just sparkles. And now we look at the right. We will look at the right eye and don't even know the difference. Exactly. Wow. Yes. yes. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful story? How how are people responding to this book, Rifka? What do you hear from people? Oh, I am overwhelmed. I have a Facebook where, I mean, my inbox is blowing up with people who are responding at how much it's touching their lives. And I read some of them and I just cry because it's amazing watching God take my little life and touch so many people with it. And the biggest thing I'm hearing is that for those living in America and Christians, that it's giving them inspiration to give themselves in a deeper way to the Lord. And that's been my prayer. And then I'm hearing from some Muslims who are actually curious about my story and those who are against it, I try to encourage them to read my book first. Um, so I, I'm just, I am in awe at the responses. It's really been beautiful. Rifka, the average American and certainly the average Christian really has very, very little knowledge of uh, Islam, the, the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do we need to know as concerned American citizens? What, what, what can you teach us? Yes, I think my story teaches that it really, Islam is something that is a difficult religion for those who desire to seek something else, especially Christianity. And I think that we have to acknowledge that this is wrong. There are women, uh, a lot of women who are dying um, or being persecuted because of, you know, converting to Christianity or even minor offenses like dressing Western, I mean, or wanting a divorce from an abusive husband. Um, And so, you know, each situation is so different, but but every woman has a has a right to seek out freedom and justice. And I just think that we need to be aware that this is happening and we cannot turn a blind eye to it. And when we do that, that's where injustice prevails. And it's really a tragedy because we as Christians were called to speak on, on behalf of those who are hurting and, and fight for their cause. And I think we really need to be aware that this is a real danger and threat. I'm interested in the in the Muslim uh, faith and and the daily prayers or three times a day and uh, what what do those prayers consist of, Rifka? What are, what are what are what are Muslims praying for? Yeah, I you know as a as a as someone born in Sri Lanka, my family spoke Tamil, so I actually learned Arabic in order to read the Quran, and most people do because the Quran can't be translated into any other uh, language. And I didn't know what I was saying. It was all words that were in Arabic, but from the little I did understand, it was all praises to Allah. And um, so most of it was really saying that he is, uh, that you would worship no other but Allah. And But uh, to be really honest, I didn't understand it since I was from a different uh, culture and, and the language barrier. I was kind of amused uh, when you had your first slice of pepperoni pizza, <laughs> which which previously w- was unclean to you, right? Did, oh, 
Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. What's the problem with pizza? (laughs) It's that it has pepperoni in it. And uh, in Islam, there are many, many laws. And one of those laws is that meat is haram, which means sinful. So if someone eats meat, they've committed uh, a sin. And it's, but it's meat that has not been cut by uh, an Islamic priest. And so, you know, here I am as a middle schooler, and I am guilty because I'm breaking the law and by doing it behind my parents' back. But as a Christian, it's allowed, and I remember the feeling of such freedom that eating this piece of pizza is worship. Like, I can worship God, and it's, and it's allowed, and, and, and just the freedom I experienced in, um, in, in Christ was really overwhelming in the beginning. One little tip there, Rivka, because I'm not a pepperoni eater, but those little round pepperonis, you can easily pull them out of the pizza and, <laughs> and, put, them, and, put, right. and put them right. on a plate. And, uh, I love cheese pizza, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, and the, so and the pepperoni's gone, and, and you wouldn't be sinning. So Exactly. Just, just, just a little footnote there. I should remember that. <laughs> Tell me about uh, church. Can you go to church freely in America, or do you oh, have to? Yes, or is I'm it difficult? very, very involved in my church. I go to a really small church where um, my pastors and leaders there are, you know, knowledgeable about my situation, and so even I can't say where I go to church. But um, I'm heavily involved. I mean, I work um, very much in our little church community, and we just, yeah, we're a little family, and so. I, I I do have the privilege of being able to go to church, but I have to be very careful about my location and whereabouts, and especially social in social media and when I give interviews and such. Do you worry about your safety every day? I have to take precautions and be wise. I don't live in fear. I realize that every minute is in God's hand. Um, but I do realize also that there is a threat on my life, and in order to proclaim my message and keep sharing my story, and I need to be very wise about where I am or or, um, the security that I have. So there are certain people who give me counsel in regards to security, um, but I I try to live trusting God with my life, but I do have to be wise. The name of the book is Hiding in the Light. Rifka Berry wrote it. It's uh, in stores now. Waterbrook is the publisher. Uh, What do you want people to take from your book, Rifka? I want people to be inspired and encouraged that God can use them in wherever area of life they're in. I want those who are hurting to be able to find hope through my story. You know, I was not supposed to be alive, but through God's grace, I am. And I want them to experience that same love and hope and joy I found in Jesus. Well, congratulations. It's a must-read, folks. It's called Hiding in the Light. Rifka Barry wrote it, and uh, her story is absolutely amazing. So glad we could visit Rifka, and I'm thrilled about that that right eye of yours, and uh, can't wait to see it. I know. (laughs) Thank you. I wish you all the very best. Thank you, Pat. Have a wonderful day. We have a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Watch good, clean comedy videos from today's most popular comedians anytime you want at GodTube.com, your place for family entertainment and laughs. It's the all-new GodTube.com. You know, it's back to school time already. But last year, the headlines were filled with testing issues and building confusion. The mission to educate our children to get lost in the politics. Well, maybe it's time to make the switch to a better way to enrich our kids with the education that they'll get from a private Christian school. And now we can introduce you to some of the best in Central Florida with half-price tuition. That's right, half-price tuition, but only for a limited time. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com right now. Take a tour online and see how much half-price saves you. Thousands. AmazingRadioDeals.com. AmazingRadioDeals.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for joining us for the last hour. Larry Wilson was with us uh, initially, uh, being Jesus' disciple, uh, part of the Rose Publishing series, and then... uh, Rifka Berry uh, was with us talking about her book, Hiding in the Light. Uh, what a what a young lady, and uh, 
what a discussion and what a book. You want to make sure you read that. Please visit my website. It's uh, patwilliams.com. Uh, the Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, my most recent book is out. It's called Vince Lombardi on Leadership, uh, the great Packer coach. And we've really uh, gone diving into his life and uh, learned about what a great leader he was and how we can apply that to our own lives. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. And uh, above all, head to church tomorrow with your family and have a great day with them. And we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950. WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.